Father, we just, we just come before you this morning, and we are just in awe of who you are and what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Guys, we gather here this morning, we just want to take a moment and recognize the, the very breath in our lungs that we are using to sing praises to you is a gift from you. God, it is your grace and your mercy that even allows us to wake up in the, in the morning. And we thank you, Father, that, that you love us so much, that you, that you have pursued us, and that you sent your son Jesus to this earth. And Father, as we celebrate this weekend, it was over 2,000 years ago that Satan thought that he had won. That Satan thought that he had uh, defeated. And yet, it was this day on 2,000 years ago, God, that, that you raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He rose, and we have victory over death. And we have victory over sin. And we thank you for that this morning. And I pray now as we continue to worship you through your word, God, that you will just fill this place with your spirit, that, that we would just exalt your son, Jesus and Father, my prayer this morning is that we would see ourselves for who we are in light of who you are, and that we would see our need for you. God, and you would just, you would do just a work in us this morning, God, because it's, it's you, you've got to move in this place. God, there's nothing that I can say, there's nothing I can do, there's nothing that anybody else can do or say. It's, you've got to be the one, God, to, to, to act and to move. And so, Father, we are praying that you do that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. John is in the New Testament. Gospel of John, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the fourth Gospel in the New Testament. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, you can look it up on your phone. If you don't have the Bible on your phone, then the words will be on the screen for you this morning. Or feel free to look over at your neighbor's Bible and share with them. We're going to start in John chapter 11. And this story that we're going to be looking at actually covers just about the whole chapter of chapter 11. But we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to start in verse 17. And then I'll give you a little bit of background to the story a little bit later. So John chapter 11. Starting in verse 17. We'll read down to verse 27, and then we're going to jump from there down to verse 38 and go through 44. All right? It's going to be on the screen, so you can follow along there if, if you feel like it, or you can follow along in your Bible. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and here we go. John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jump down to verse 38 with me. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take the stone, uh, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of Mary, uh, I'm sorry, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. So I want to ask you guys a question this morning. Uh, and here it goes. If, if you were to receive a letter in the mail, and it was uh, from a law firm, and it was written on very official-looking letterhead from this law firm, and in that letter it stated that you had a distant family member, a relative, that you had never heard of, that you had never, you know, that you didn't know you even had one, but in that letter it stated that this family member has left you millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Now you would probably look at that letter and you would probably be somewhat skeptical, right? Right? Now, now this letter wasn't, this didn't come through Facebook, it didn't come through social media, it came, official letter, stamped. I know we don't receive that much anymore these days, but it came in the mail on official looking letterhead from this law firm. We would be skeptical, right? But, but here's the thing, we would at least investigate it, right? We would at least look into it. Why? Because the offer is too great. I mean, millions of dollars, right? What, what if you really did have a distant relative and you had no idea, right? You would at least, at least look into it because the offer is just too great not to. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just like that. The offer is too great not to at least investigate it, not to at least look into it. Right? And the thing of it is, man, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not offer us some vague uh, afterlife. The resurrection of Jesus offers us a, a new body and a renewed perfect world with loved ones walking around with God. See, what we're celebrating here this morning is the defeat of death and God's complete victory over sin and death forever. Amen? And here I know, man, if we're honest with each other this morning, then we've all had moments in our life where we have had doubts, right? We've questioned. We've, we've had moments in our life where we've been skeptical. And, and the truth is that some may even be skeptical here this morning. And so here is what I want to lay before you for the next few minutes uh, together as we study God's Word. And it's just simply two things. Uh, I want you to see that the resurrection isn't just an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but the resurrection is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, and he wants to have a relationship with you. 
Second thing is, is the resurrection is not just a future event, but the resurrection is a present reality. All right? So the first one is the resurrection is not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but the resurrection is a person. And the second thing is the resurrection is not just a future event, but it's a present reality. So you guys good? You guys ready? All right, so let me give you just a little bit of background on this story that we read, okay? Jesus has had to move outside of Jerusalem where he normally is teaching and staying because his life is being threatened uh, by the religious leaders. And so he's outside of Jerusalem. He's teaching with his disciples. And Mary and Martha send a runner to Jesus to inform him that their good, his good buddy, that their brother, is sick. And they say, hey, can you come back? Can you help us? Uh, because he is in need of your help. Now, what happens next is, is really strange because Jesus makes this statement. He says, this illness does not lead to death, but yet it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then Jesus proceeds to stay where he's at for two days longer. Now, it's odd because Jesus and this family were very close. Right? In verse 5 of chapter 11, it says that Jesus loved this family. Okay, so Jesus and this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're not just acquaintances. They're not just somebody that they see every now and then, okay? But they're, they're close friends. They had meals together. They ate together, right? This is the same Mary and Martha that had Jesus over for dinner, and Martha is, like, busy cleaning the house and cooking dinner, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's hanging on every word that he says. This is the same Mary who wet Jesus' feet with her tears, and wash his, his feet with her hair. And so, so Lazarus has died. And it was customary in that day, in that culture, that upon the death of a family member, there would be a 30-day period of mourning. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, he walks into this, uh, to this scene with, with a lot of grief. There's a lot of wailing and a lot of crying and just a, a, lot, of, a lot of hopelessness. And we really don't know what kind of illness Lazarus had, but what we do know is that you have a man who is losing his life to sickness, and you have two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are trying to keep him alive until Jesus can get there, and yet Jesus is a no-show. And so Martha approaches Jesus when he gets there, and this is what she says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, when you read Scripture, you can take that comment, and you can take it one or two ways, right? She is either showing her faith in Jesus that she knew. She said, Jesus, if you had been here, I know, I know you could have healed my brother. I know that he wouldn't be dead right now. I know that he would be well. Or you could take that comment to mean that maybe she was just being passive-aggressive, and she was basically saying, dude, where were you, Right? Where were you? Why did you delay? Do you not care about us anymore? Like, like what, what's going on here? I mean, listen, Mary doesn't even come out of the house. This family is hurting, and they're grieving, and they just watched their brother lose their life. And I don't know if you've ever been around death before, but it's not pretty. It's not pretty. When somebody is sick, and they're ill, and they're losing their life, it's not a pretty thing. You've got a lot of, of, of just a lot of bad things going on there, and you've got two sisters who are watching this process, and they're watching this, and they're looking out the window, and it's like, is Jesus here yet? Is Jesus coming yet? So when Jesus finally comes, Martha's like, 
Lord, if you'd been here, I know my brother would be well. But what she's saying is, is Lord, where were you? Why weren't you here? They watched their brother die, and they feel hopeless. And here's the thing. Just as Lazarus died physically, the Bible says that we are all dead spiritually. Now, let me, let me flesh that out for you, okay? To, to be spiritually dead means that we are separated from God. God is the creator of life. He created us in his image. And to be spiritually dead means to be separated from the creator of life. In Genesis 3, uh, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 6, it says that uh, when Adam, which is the first man that God created, sinned, and sin just basically means to miss the mark, right? Uh, he disobeyed God. Uh, when he sinned, he ushered in death for all of humanity. And so what happened is God commanded Adam and Eve, saying, You may surely eat from every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now that phrase, you shall surely die, signifies a continuous state of death that began with spiritual death. So the moment that they disobeyed God, they were separated from God. Because God is creator God, because he is perfect, because he is holy, because he is righteous, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so the moment they disobeyed, they broke the command, they sinned. And so they were spiritually separated from God. They were spiritually dead. But not only were they spiritually dead, then their physical bodies began to break down as well. Right? We know all about that, right? We, we, we wake up uh, in the mornings with, with aches and pains, right? We wake up and, like, man, we, we're sore in places we didn't even know we could be sore in, right? And uh, the older I get, the more I, I see that, and, 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 the, and the quicker, you know, and the, and the longer it takes to, to, to heal from that, you know? And that's just a part of our body that is breaking down, that we are dying physically. So not only are we spiritually dead, but we are dying physically as well. And so spiritual death means separation from God. But here's the bad news, right? Unfortunately, this spiritual death was not confined just to Adam and Eve. See, because they were representatives of the human race, Adam carried all humanity into his sin. And what that means is, is that all of us have sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? So, so, so God has a standard. He has a mark, and we have all missed that mark. We've all fallen short. We've all disobeyed. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all done something. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Death. Death is the penalty for our disobedience against God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so Lazarus was physically dead. And in verse 25, Jesus looks at Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is huge, right? Because in the Gospel of John, this is the, the Gospel of John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And he, he, Jesus makes seven of these I am statements. 
Right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He makes seven of those I am statements. And, and that's, that's huge because what he is doing is he is identifying himself as eternal and that he is God because I am is one of the names that God uses for himself in the Old Testament. Also, what this does is it removes any notion that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Well, you have a lot of people who, who, who don't believe that, that Jesus was God. A lot of other religions that don't believe that Jesus. A lot of people think that Jesus was just a prophet. He wasn't the son of God or he wasn't God. And they say, well, he was just a, a, a good moral teacher. But see, Jesus is not claiming to be a great teacher in this passage. He's not even teaching a lesson in this passage. But rather what he's telling Martha is, I am the solution to the problem. I am the resurrection and the life. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't pull Martha aside and say, okay, Martha, you know, it's okay. Let me comfort you for a minute. You'll see Lazarus again someday. Listen, God's going to work all this out eventually. You know, it's, it's going to be okay. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. But rather, Jesus submits himself as the solution. Now, this is one thing to, to claim that you are the resurrection and the life, but it's another thing than to actually do it. And in verse 38, it says, Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And I love this. Martha said, uh, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. That, that's why I go back to the, the previous part, and I say that I think she was kind of being passive-aggressive. Because if she truly believed that, 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 that Jesus could do whatever, she wouldn't have questioned this, right? She'd have been like, now you're talking to Jesus, let's do it, right? But she was like, Jesus, it's going to stink, right? I think the King James Version says stinketh, right? You can go look it up later. I'm pretty sure that's what it says. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he prayed, and he said, God, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the man who had died came out. Now here's the good news. Here is the good news for us. See, we're not here this morning celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus, are we? We're here this morning celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that Jesus crushes our greatest enemy, and that is death, and he has defeated sin forever. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 54-56, Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, right? That separation, that spiritual separation. We've been separated from God. That's the, the, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, on Good Friday, when Jesus hung on that cross, he wasn't dying for his sins, was he? Now, Jesus came, he lived flesh and he obeyed his father perfectly jesus wasn't dying on the cross for his sins he wasn't dying he was dying on the cross for my sins and for your sins when he hung on the cross he became a curse in our place 
When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, listen, he is the source of both. He is the resurrection and the life. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And then John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote three other letters later on in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he writes this in 1st John 5, 11 and 12. He says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, Martha learned that day that the resurrection isn't just an event. But the resurrection is a person, and his name is Jesus. And I love what Jesus says to her. He says, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so here's the question that you've got to ask yourself this morning. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? What does it mean to believe? Listen, the word believe there is more than just an intellectual type of belief. It's more than just a, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You know, I know in facts about Jesus. Jesus came and, you know, he lived, you know, here and there and he did all these wonderful things, right? It's more than just kind of knowing facts about Jesus, right? But, but, but it's, it's, a recon, it's recognizing that you are a sinner. It's recognizing that you fall short of God's standard. That's why I pray just about every single week that we would see ourselves for who we are in light of who God is. Because until you see yourself that you are a sinner and that you have fallen short, you are not going to see your need for Jesus in your life. You see that you have fallen short. It means that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. That Jesus paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, that he is the solution, that he is the only solution to our sin problem. There is nothing you can do to earn salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't be virtually more, uh, morally virtuous. Uh, you, can't be, uh, you, can't, you can't live a morally virtuous life in order to get back to God. We are lost, right? We have been separated, and Jesus is the only solution. So you, you believe, you put your faith and trust in him. That means that you, you repent of your sins. We talked about repentance last week. Well, we, 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 we not only just turn from our sin, but we turn to Christ. It means we confess Jesus as Lord. And that confession there isn't just a, a verbal confession. Yes, we verbally confess that Jesus is Lord. Just as Martha said, yes, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. We say that, but then we confess with our life. It's a lifestyle. Jesus said, Those, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. And so we confess Jesus with our mouth. We confess Jesus with our life. We begin to live in the power of the Holy Spirit that, that he has given us. We live this new life. And so we, we, we begin to reorient our life. We begin to change things, right? We begin to transform our thinking. We begin to change the way we think because we're in the Word of God and we're seeing the things that Jesus did and we're learning the things that Jesus did. 
And then we're, we're getting in community. We're, we're living in uh, community with each other. We're in small groups with each other, and we're studying the Word together, and we're encouraging each other, and we're, we're helping each other, and we're holding each other accountable, right? Because the, the, the thing it is, we're growing more and more like Christ. So, so you repent, you confess, and then the very first act of obedience that we do is we are baptized into Christ. That's one of my favorite things. Man, we have a baptistry right over here where we, we take people all the way under the water and back up. And I love, I love the description that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6. I want to read this for you. This is a beautiful description of baptism. This is what Paul says. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right, so I want you to imagine for a second that you're in the water, right? You, you said, I want to give my life to Jesus. I've, I've repented of my sins. I've confessed him as Lord. And now I want to be obedient. And I want to be baptized into Christ. So you're standing in the water, and you are a sinner, right? You've got to sin. This is kind of the picture of what this is. And then Paul says, you are buried with Christ in his death. You go under the water. You're buried, just as Jesus was buried. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. And so you come up out of the water, and you're a new person. Isn't that a beautiful picture there of baptism? I love how he describes that. And so the question for us this morning is, do you believe the resurrection is a person? He wants a relationship with you. But secondly... Martha also learned that day that the resurrection is not just a future event, but a present reality. So let's go back to that conversation for a second with Jesus. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, right, then my brother would have been well. And Jesus said, said, your brother will rise again. And in her very next statement, she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So what Martha is doing is she's looking far into the future. That's where her hope lies, far, far into the future, right? She, she assumed that the resurrection was a future event, and what, what she reveals is that she considers time an insurmountable obstacle. And that's understandable, right? Because you and I are bound by time. We have a beginning, and we have an end. And so what she's saying is it's too late, it's too late for, for, for Lazarus. We can't help him anymore. Time has passed. Now we must wait far, far into the future. And again, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he shows her that the resurrection and life isn't some future event, but it is a present reality. It is here, it is now, and it is available to you and to all. See, death and time is no obstacle for Jesus. And so for those that believe and put their faith in Jesus, guess what? Eternity starts now. It's not, some, it's not one of those things you look, oh, I can't wait till we get to heaven. No, eternity starts now. It's not some future event, but rather eternity starts now. It's a present reality. You were dead, now you are alive, Right? And because it's a present reality, listen to me, that changes the way that you live now. It shapes the way that you live now. Here's what I mean by that. If you believe 
that we are all here by random chance or by accident, that there is no personal God, and when we die, we just rot in the grave, and that there is no life after death, then that perspective is going to shape the way you live in the present. Are you going to believe the message of the world that life is all about you? And world, the world is going to revolve around you. And, and the goal of life is to maximize your pleasure and to minimize your pain and, um, and suffering. And, and if when we die, it's all over, then this brief stint on planet Earth within itself is very meaningless. Right? What's the point? What's the point? However, if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that eternal life is the present reality, and that you'll live for eternity, then that will absolutely change the way you live now. You see, hope depends on finding some end to be pursued more than just my own selfish desires. Like, if, if my end is just to please me, that's going to be... What's the point? But when, when your priorities begin to change and you realize, wait a minute, it's not just about, it's not about me at all, right? But it's about Jesus. It's about living for Him. Man, that changes things, right? You realize that your future hope is being realized in Jesus Christ. You see, what's, that's what's happening with the resurrection of Jesus. Think about Jesus' disciples for a second. Right, you have Jesus' disciples who, who before uh, the crucifixion, man, they were very timid, they were very shy. And the night that Jesus is arrested, what happens to Jesus' disciples? They all scatter, don't they? They all run for the hills. They're scared. But after the resurrection, when they lay eyes on Jesus and they see that he has risen from the dead, man, that, that, that changes. That perspective, they change. I mean, they, they begin to live for Jesus. And, and listen, they... they Within a 30-year period, man, the gospel had spread across the known world. Listen, we are in this room today because of 11 guys. Because of their boldness and because of their courage. And every single one of them, except for John, was killed proclaiming Jesus. Because they knew, because of because the, the, the eternity... Because they knew that, that Jesus was a present reality. It, was, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, someday we're going to be in heaven. It was like, hey man, eternity starts now and I'm, I'm going there, right? And so it changed the way they lived. The Apostle Paul was another one, right? Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He was out persecuting Christians. He was out doing all kinds of crazy things. And he, he has an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. Listen, the Apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. He planted churches all across the known world. Because of his encounter with Jesus, it changed the way he lived. Even today, I love seeing people who, who put their faith in Jesus, and I love seeing the transformation it takes. I love seeing people that are being changed because of what Jesus is doing, because of how the resurrection has affected them, because of an encounter with Jesus that they've had. Right, Things that they used to think were important aren't as important anymore. Things that they used to, to love, now they don't love, and it's just an amazing thing to see this transformation and how God is growing them and how their, their love and affection for Jesus is growing. All because their future hope is being realized in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is working in their lives and growing them. 
See, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me now, and you will not die. Believe in me now, and you will live. And that's the same offer for you and me this morning. Think about this for a second. With three little words, Jesus rewrites creation. He says, Lazarus, come out. And those same three words, he specifies them to you. Insert your name. He says, come out. Come out. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you are struggling with self-hatred, or you feel like that God can't love you, or things that you've done in your past that God can't possibly forgive you, Jesus says, come out. Come out of death and into life. For those this morning that are dealing with secret sins or addictions or you're feeling like you're alone or you feel like you're abandoned, Jesus calls your name and he says, come out. Come out of death and into life. For those of you who are struggling with guilt, shame, Jesus calls your name and he says, come out. Come out of death and into life. Because he's the resurrection and the life. Amen? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the resurrection and how it, it changes the way we think and how we live. And Father, I pray now that uh, as we have studied your word, that we would just continue to allow your spirit to just move and God, that we would just take a moment and just look at our own life, God. And, and, and maybe, maybe some, some are here and they just feel like, man, I, I've been trying to figure this thing out my whole life. I've been trying to live a good life or I've been trying to do the right thing. And 